Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Naoti, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship in advancement. Today, I'm joined by my friend Stephanie Meiser, Senior Manager, Talent Acquisition with The Ohio State University. How are you doing today, Stephanie? Doing great, Kim. Nice to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. So today, I want to talk to you about the great resignation, or as I look at it as a great realization. In the past year or so, we've seen many people in our profession decide that, you know, it is time. I'm going to go do something different. And the reason that very, some people have left because they got introspective and said, you know what, I found a different organization that fits me better personally. Some it's been, uh, you know, I want to I want to go a completely different direction. You work for a nonprofit. I want to go from a large research to a small research, so on and so forth. It seemed to me like this uh, uh, period of, uh, of of the pandemic has really forced people to be introspective and think about what matters the most to them and what they can do to ensure that they're fulfilling the inner self, whatever that whatever that is. So what what are you seeing from your perspective? I actually like to think of it as the the great reassessment. So yet yet another R word besides resignation and realization. <laughs> I think, you know, starting in, in 2020 with the pandemic, the differences to our lives collectively were significant. And we did have the opportunity, even though we were surrounded by, you know, kind of chaos and sickness and and incredible, scary times, there there were people who had the opportunity to kind of step back from the normal grind and really do that reassessment. And I think that that kind of continues today as things still feel different, you know, and it's just been that that nonstop uh, opportunity for that introspection. So I think people have like you said, reassessed priorities, and I think they are continuing to do so. So what reasons are you hearing as to why people are choosing to either leave the field or to transition to other uh, sort of uh, organizations? Uh, what, what are you hearing uh, as you talk to your peers? It's it's a mixed bag. So I've been recruiting for Ohio State and advancement for 10 years. And I think the the difference between the folks leaving now and and reasons in the past, I think overall, you know, people leave for opportunity, whether that is an opportunity to work a different uh maybe schedule. Now, of course, that probably means some something related to remote work or, you know, uh, flexi- flexibility there. 
that's not really what we're seeing. We're seeing folks who want to really switch, either switch gears completely, go to a different industry, uh, you know, change completely, whether it's from uh, fundraising into something completely unrelated, but it's actually mostly folks in our business operations that we're seeing the most attrition from. So IT, business intelligence, uh, data analytics, marketing communications actually as well. And in those folks, you know, just as we, as we suffer through the, the competition being, uh, you know, industry that maybe can pay more or is bigger and has different opportunities, bigger, broader opportunities. You know, that's one of the things that sometimes in higher ed, we have a hard time keeping up with. So as the, as the market has gotten competitive, particularly in those areas, I think we've, we've uh, seen some really an increase in, in turnover uh, that was, is not normal for us. So uh, as we think about uh, different things that we can put in place, uh, you know, to, uh, to address this, one of the things that I, I, I oftentimes I ask folks when they leave is, you know, uh, what, is there anything that we could have done, you know, to facilitate an opportunity for you to, to be part of this organization? And I had one instance where I was talking to somebody recently, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing that the organization that they're a part of could have done to ensure that they stayed because it was an issue of, I realized that it's important for me to close my family. And so that organization could not or did not have a policy to allow them to be able to work remotely. And so uh, as a result, they went to a place that allowed them to do the work that they were doing, but remotely. Totally remote, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I and I thought I said, man, what a what a missed opportunity here uh, that 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 uh, you know that this was not able to be accommodated. Uh, it would have been something if they were able to accommodate that and uh, and offer that person an opportunity to uh, to continue their career. Because as you you know, as I think about it, I mean, many in the private sector have gone to that remote model. And uh, they have figured out a way to be able to still build a sense of team and even mentor, uh, you know, folks in the organization through uh, remote meetings. Like you and I uh, are conversating right now remotely. And, uh, you know, one, one uh, I think I was listening to Simon Sinek. He was talking about how in his organization, it's global nation. So one day a week, he meets with everybody that reports to him, and they don't talk about what are we doing today. They talk about how are you doing, how are you mm-hmm. feeling, how's yeah. your family, how's how's it down there in South Seoul, South Korea, and he challenges his uh, direct reports to do the same thing with the rest of the team. And I thought that was brilliant, but in our industry. We haven't really quite gotten there or even thought about that as a, as a possibility. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it almost feels, and maybe this is a, this is a terrible analogy, but it, it feels <laughs> like 
we collectively had one big heart attack that we all survived and realized life is too short. And as Americans, if we continue to spend a third of our lives at work, why the heck would we be doing something that isn't meaningful to us or feel underpaid or underappreciated and not maximizing, you know, time with family or whatever it is our our priorities are. If we want to, you know, spend more time doing our hobbies, things that make us happy, you know, um, why, why wouldn't we do that? And so it's interesting. You talk about the remote work piece, which I think is, I think the remote aspect of, you know, being able to be in your own environment is one thing. I think the, the lack of a commute is really a big driver there. And it's funny. We actually just had an executive assistant resign because she was offered this opportunity. She couldn't pass up. It was significantly more money. I mean, we're talking twenty, thirty thousand dollars you know, yeah. more. in, in, in our shops, we just can't, can't compete. You know, we can't count. No, no, like so then the other piece was this company that she found and is going to go work for is a mile from her house. So she oh, can man. walk to work. Yeah. And not have the commute to come, you know, from a suburb to campus, which is in the middle of Columbus and, you know, not worry about parking and all the things. So it was, she said, don't even bother trying. I know you guys can't, can't compete, <laughs> but, but those were the priorities that she chose, uh, which you have to understand, right? Oh, so, absolutely. You, you have to, I mean, it's, you know, uh, I remember one time I had somebody who had an opportunity to be able to live next to mom and dad in their own home that they owned in a different state mm. uh, and still be able to work remotely. And, uh, and when they told me, I said, you know what, I cannot, I, I, there's nothing I can say to that right. because I'll be, I'll be selfish and I'll, I'll be a person who's not thinking about what's in your best interest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and so I think uh, sometimes in, in these kind of conversations as we try to grapple with what to do, it is important also to uh, understand and, and acknowledge that what what's in the, that that which is in the best interest of those team members, and understand that there's going to be people who are going to want to go somewhere else for reasons that are personal, and you should be okay in supporting that. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I, I contend uh, I I lost one person for those reasons, but we have maintained a good relationship, and I said the door is always going to be open for you. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have a home here. So this is a great thing for your family. You go ahead and get it done. And I think how we handle that becomes uh, becomes even more critical in addressing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also think that one of the traps that we got caught in as, as higher education organizations is we have rested on our laurels a little bit too long as far as we're mission oriented. That should be enough. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, we're Ohio State. That should be enough. And uh, it is not anymore. <laughs> and so no. I think a, a lot of us, have, you know, 
obviously, particularly big publics, I think, um, are learning that lesson maybe a little too too late in some cases, but we do still want to be mission forward and we do still want that to be our, you know, one of the main reasons somebody comes here is to make a difference. And in advancement, that's what we do get to do every day. Um, and that is huge because I think that is definitely a driver for many people that they're work needs to be meaningful, of course. So yes, we check that box, but the world has changed and it's no longer enough just to be able to make a difference. You also want to get paid a fair salary and you also want to, in most cases, you do also want to be able to have a flexible schedule and work remotely when it's, when you can. And so I think, you know, we got caught a little bit flat footed um, and and not being quite progressive enough uh, in in some in some cases uh, with that. So so I think hopefully as an industry, we can we can make some make some changes here and make some of that stuff the the norm. Uh, But it's, you know, kind of like turning the Titanic sometimes. Right. Takes it, takes yeah. a minute. So pretty much as we as we think about, you know, uh, the, the, the issues of, uh, you know, resting on the fact that an institution is known, you know, is renowned. I mean, we're at this university. Our mission is so grand and whatever. What this, uh, what this period we're going through has shown is that for most practitioners, that is secondary. Yes, they believe in, in, in the mission, but if they believe in the mission, but that mission is impacting the, their ability to have a balanced uh, family life, their ability to pursue their dreams, their ability to be authentic, if those things are not being met, mm-hmm. you could be the best university in the world, but you're not aligned. You know, your mission is not aligned with the mission of your team members. And so that's when you start seeing people, uh, you know, uh, going, uh, going out of the door. And uh, which, which leads me to another, to another part of it, as we're talking about mentorship here, you know, yeah. uh, oftentimes I think it's important for us as we're bringing people in to have, as uh, somebody said the other day on Harvard, Harvard Business Review, um, to help them understand what their career uh, or a, a career, not roadmap, but portfolio may look like. How are we going to offer you? What, what is it that you want to do? How are we going to mm-hmm. offer you those tools to enable you to move to the next? Okay, so far mm-hmm. we've been talking about issues that relate to, you know, people uh, uh, have uh, re- readjusted their navigation of beacons to borrow Jimmy Buffett's saying here and want to go want to follow different stuff that fulfills who they are. Yeah. Well, hey, we've talked about, well, uh, remote work and, uh, you know, can I work from home? Can I not work from home? As being factors. Uh, the other thing that I look at is what are these onboarding programs like? What are we doing to create that career portfolio that prepares somebody to the next level? And communicate that to them and on, from the beginning, making sure that folks understand that if the time comes and you feel that you have fulfilled your potential and you want to take the next step, 
and we cannot offer the next step that will support you in your next journey, whatever that may be. That may not be here. I, right. I, I don't I don't see a lot of folks being comfortable uh, talking about that and then uh, having conversations with some early career fundraisers around the country who ended up leaving the, the organization. A lot of that had to do with the fact that they just did not see that where the North Star is. They just did not see how they were going to be able to to grow into a leadership role because no one ever asked them about that. Or they asked about it, they put a plan together or gave the tools. So they had to go external. And I think one of the, one of the uh, factors uh, that or that are, that uh, arose during this uh, great resignation uh, or the great reassessment, as you call it, is the fact that folks say, hey, you know what? Uh, it's okay for me to say I'm not going to stick with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of positions out there. I can go to a place uh, in upstate New York where I'll be able to accomplish what I'm looking for. And they're actually going to give me that platform to do so. What are your thoughts about that? Ooh, you just dropped a lot of lot of thoughts, a lot of topics. <laughs> <in there. laughs> so it's interesting that... Um, you know, from the from the standpoint of retention, well, there's obviously, you know, my job is attracting and and recruiting yep. folks to the organization, but of course, it's intimately tied to retention. And the the first year experience of any new employee is so vital. It is not just the training, you know, on how to do the job. There's so much more as, I mean, this is, you could do 13 podcasts, right? Just about culture, uh, culture and the building of that culture is so, so key, but you know, I, I loved what you said kind of about if somebody doesn't feel included, I think you said something to the effect of not being able to be, be themselves or be their authentic selves. You know, I think that open dialogues across the organization, uh, are very key to helping someone feel that sense of belonging and that they're being listened to and cared about. And without that, you know, I think motivation starts to starts to slide. And that is where you can, then you can't picture yourself in the organization in the future. Uh, so one thing that is helpful, you know, is kind of the term stay interviews and, you know, making sure that the only, that you don't just speak to folks when they exit the organization and do an exit interview. Yeah. Let's do stay. That's the wrong time to speak to them. Absolutely. That's the wrong time to speak. Too late. I remember, uh, I remember one organization that, uh, that I was part of, you know, for years I was, I did whatever they asked me to do. I, you know, I'm the, I'm the utility uh, pitcher. So, you know, this happens in this, in this part of the organization, I'll go. I'll feel I won't even ask more money. But they came to a point where I said, you know, I feel like I could do more. What is my path to get there? Oh, well, just do your job, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Then a friend calls me and says, hey, I think we can offer you better. Why don't you, you know, fly out here to uh, Virginia and let's have a conversation. So I do. Then when the uh, talent manager figures out that I'm being uh, pursued, 
that's when they came to me and the boss said, hey, we know you're frustrated. We value here, and this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to offer you an opportunity to uh, have a broader campus-wide portfolio. Do blah 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 blah. One, two, three, four, five, three. Blah, everything that I wanted. And I said, you know, with all due respect, it's a little bit too late because had I known that you were invested in me and committed to me early in my career, I would not even have entertained anything else. But I, I feel that this is only being done now that you know you're about to. Uh, lose a, a team member. And so I didn't trust that to be sincere yeah. and I moved on. It was the wrong, it was the wrong time. That, that should have been a conversation mm-hmm. uh, early on. And, and the shops that I've seen uh, that, that do it well are ones that have not just the, the, the incoming interview and the orientation of things like that, mm-hmm. but they have periodic check-ins with their uh, talent management team and your boss. How are you doing? How's the experience like? Any feedback for us? Uh, and do everything possible throughout the year, uh, including uh, you know, annual talent reviews, uh, you know, to, to just use that as a checkpoint to see, okay, how are we meeting this, uh, this team member's uh, 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 you know, passion? How are we meeting their goals? Are we, are we, are we not? What can we do to adjust? Oftentimes we wait until way late when somebody has already checked out and then it's too late for us. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it, it, uh, at least that's what, I, that's what I've seen. And I, I'm curious, uh, as we talk about the Ohio State University, uh, <laughs> what are you doing uh, to attract and uh, retain talent? Perhaps you can talk two or three things that you all have in place uh, you run a wor- world-class program, while well, the envy of this country when it comes to uh, gold standard in higher education advancement. So I'm curious if you can share uh, one or two things that you're doing from the attraction perspective and also from a retention perspective. Thank you. That's uh, those are those are high compliments. I I appreciate that. I think. You know, I'll focus on some of the more recent things that we're doing, which really. It does kind of uh, revolve around practicing what we preach in the really in the inclusion space and communicating in our job postings uh, and then living what we say. So, for example, in our qualifications for our jobs. We have, um, you know, over the course of of time, we have certainly realized that in, you know, best practices are that you don't make your job requirements so specific that you're going to weed people out, uh, you know, or that females will self-select out because the language sounds too, you know, skewed towards being masculine or whatever the issue is. So there's lots of work around verbiage in a, in a job posting, but, but we actually put for our desired qualifications, hey, don't worry if you don't meet 100% of these qualifications. We want you to still yeah. apply. You know, we still want to take a look at, at your, your quality or your background and, and see if we could can find a match here. And also, once you get here, 
we assure you, you will be trained. So don't let the big beast that is scary to some people, you know, a 60,000 plus employee organization, highly complicated and, and you know, uh, big, et cetera. Don't let that scare you. We're going to train you when you get here. We're going to, we're going to help you navigate uh, the complexities. We're going to make sure you understand all the, the super secret language that we have. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and train everybody you has that. Yeah. Oh, of course we do all, you know, everybody does. So uh, trying to really express on the front end a really detailed uh, position description and profile that lays out expectations and tells you, hey, this is what you're going to, this is what success looks like in your first 30, 60, 90 days, whatever. So, and then talk about, you know, this is how we're going to help you assimilate and acclimate to the organization. Um, That investment on the front end really puts the hiring manager in the space of thinking about goals, thinking about how they're going to train that person, onboard them, and, you know, really helps them look through the whole first year. And then it kind of, you know, hopefully builds builds from there. But that's just one of one of the things that we've invested a lot of time and and effort and training into is is being very um, again investing that time on the front end. And then um I think you know we're we're doing a lot of course with with LinkedIn and training our our hiring managers actually to think of themselves constantly as an extension of the recruitment office the always always be recruiting kim oh always always. so you you have to be you have to be recruiting and i oftentimes tell people it's not that's it's not just solely the job of talent management and acquisition it's everybody everything that you do out there is a reflection of your organization and if you know whenever you get a chance to meet good people, you know, bring them in. Meet good people, go on good people's podcasts, you know, do what you got to yes. do. <laughs> exactly, especially good people in Florida. They do That's well. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think there's, obviously there's a, a lot more that we do to to fish in the different ponds for different, different types of uh, talent, different levels of experience, et cetera. We have a great program to bring on um, new fundraisers and build our own pipeline in-house, et cetera, uh, which a lot of shops, you know, the bigger shops are able to do really great internship programs and things like that. So there's a lot of great work going on across the industry. Uh, and so so props to my recruitment peers out there, but um, yeah, those are a yeah, couple of things. Say- I have to say, uh, you know, in the organizations that I've been involved in overall, uh, you know, in, in the roles that I've had in leadership, uh, I spend most of my time with one function and one function only, and that's big talent management. I spend a lot of it just because, you know, uh, at the leadership role where you're not quite the VP yet, you deal with people. And so I've witnessed over the years how different organizations have evolved in how they recruit people. I mean, uh, I can talk about 
my alma mater, you know, the University of Nebraska, the University of Nebraska Foundation, um, I'll give a shout out to their team. And they're encouraging their team members to be to be uh, active. Okay, so let's let's steps competition. And uh, if we uh, if we meet uh, a certain million uh, steps, then we're gonna get an extra holiday uh, uh, day. Uh, you know, over the break. So guess what? Everybody wants that extra day over Christmas or over Thanksgiving. So that's great for encouraging uh, you know teens to do things together. And then promote that culture out there that, hey, you know, we're about this. So you talked about something that I'm really passionate about, and, which is uh, growing your own talent, or growing your own talent from within. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what you all are doing to sort of uh, uh, grow your talent. And with a copy that, you know, your university is a major institution. So you have resources that somebody listening to us at a small arts college or a small regional college may not have. So as we think about this as as an industry-wide thing from a major university like yours, talk about that and what will be your recommendation to sort of take that model by scaling down to the budget of a small mid-sized institution? So that they too can build a pipeline, because I think this is a, is a is not just for major institution, but it's for our entire uh, field. Sure. Well, we all have students in our own backyards, and those students are going to graduate and need jobs, and they're going to potentially need jobs while they're students. They also might be interested in, you know, uh, student student alumni council type work or any of your, you know, any student organizations who do fundraising, you might be able to tap into them and get them involved in some sort of internship programs or, you know, even just uh, lunch and learns or something to teach them about the profession. I think that is one thing, you know, I, I talk about all the time how people in this, in advancement kind of stumble into these careers. Nobody grows up necessarily say, oh, I want to be a fundraiser or (laughs) alumni relations. So we have to do, you know, we have to do a better job of introducing the profession as early as we can. There are in most major cities, uh, Association of Fundraising Professional Chapters, and there are collegiate chapters that you could start at your own institution. I know easier said than done, but if you want to be an advisor for a student org, it's actually quite fun and fulfilling. And that is that's one way to just engage engage students and um, you know get them interested in this as a profession, and even have it on their radar. So you know. Here, yes, at Ohio State, we are very blessed to have a leadership annual giving program where we bring folks in and in entry-level fundraising uh, positions and then train them from there. And that's that's what I meant by our, our pipeline there, specifically for fundraisers. But we certainly have other student workers across advancement and in all sorts of other functions. Um, and they, some of them uh, might be work, you know, federal work studies. Some of them are just straight up, you know, paid student jobs. 
kind of depends on what your situation is with your institution. But but there are opportunities for sure to get folks excited about the work we do. Um, you can also, you know, there are ways to perhaps if it's, you know, you're trying to engage uh, scholarship recipients, you know, what are they majoring in? Could they be could they be interested in not just thanking their donor for their scholarship, but hey, have you thought about, you know, working in advancement or our call center or, you know, things like that? Um, obviously, there are everyone's extremely busy in this in this world, but, um, you know, pr- professional opportunities for development on our end could be that we that we mentor some of these students and, you know encourage them to look at nonprofit type type roles um, and really just again grow the profession. So in terms of uh, when you think of diversity, we I mm-hmm. know we talked a little bit about that. We think of diversity in our field. Uh, you know it is a challenge that we're all trying to address one way or another. But so far I would say unsuccessfully so we still got a long ways to go. As I think about the next generation of uh, of fundraising leaders and advancement leaders, not just you know in fundraising, but in advancement services and business ops, all over. As I think about that, what what are some of your thoughts uh, and things that that you all are doing in order to build the capacity for that? Because in my perspective, views uh, may differ. Uh, we cannot take the current approach that many institutions take in recruiting, uh, you know, entry-level junior team members. Yeah. Uh, we cannot use that mm-hmm. to appeal to diverse uh, candidates because they have a different lived experience. So you gotta approach it differently from their lived experience within your institution, or even as you think, uh, you know, beyond that. I was having a conversation yesterday with somebody about, hey, you know one thing we don't do? We don't go to the local, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hispanic uh, uh, Community Association or what have you that has a job board, okay? Uh, you know, we don't go to organizations like Hispanics and Philanthropy or others that have job boards, have access to people that we're looking for because they say, well, but they don't have the right experience. And I'll say, well, that's why, like you talked about earlier in our conversation, that's why we have a training program. What is it there for? I submit that if we go to those places and we recruit somebody with things that we can't teach, we can't teach somebody to be ethical. We can't teach somebody to be a hard worker. I don't care what anybody says. You know, either you have it or you don't. We can't teach passion. Passion comes through. Somebody's passionate about this work. You meet them. You, you know these, these people are wired differently. So what if we go to those different community-based uh, organizations that represent diverse populations and say, you know what, we'll bring you in, in, into our leadership giving program. We'll train you and you'll be part of this program. What are your thoughts on that, uh, on that approach? Just in general, the idea of having a nuanced approach to uh, acquiring uh, talent and also retaining with your organization. I agree. I think that we have lots of opportunities to think differently about the talent that we that we recruit and 
then make sure that we're lifting folks up to be successful. So, you know, I hate to, I'm sounding very HR, like going back to um, <laughs> job postings and stuff, but, but truly, you know, this whole, this conversation we've had in this industry for a very long time about transferable skills is one that's, that's, that continues. And I think the organizations who have been successful in uh, diversifying their workforce composition, at least, you know, racially have, you know, been very purposeful about, we need to think about our talent differently. And kind of, you know, to, to your point, look at the base characteristics and the core competencies that you need in a person. Are they aligned with your shared values? You know, you talked at the beginning of the podcast about a North Star, you know, as as, as long as you as an organization know where you're heading and you're able to communicate that, you're going to know the type of person and, and um, well, worker who's going to come in and be successful. And you're going to know if they're missing something, is it trainable? Is it teachable? And are they trainable and teachable? Right. And go from there. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, in, in my past, I've had success with, uh, you know, hiring somebody with a zero background in our field, but had what are the, those uh, intangibles that had those things that we've been talking about. And guess what? They did very well. Uh, sure. I remember years ago, uh, <laughs> I had a, uh, a supervisor who came and told me, said, well, we have this, uh, you know, uh, development officer. She's not cutting in. We really need to, uh, to, uh, to get rid of this person. And I said, well, have you trained them? Mm-hmm. Have you had a conversation with them? The answer was no. I said, well, I don't think it's fair to that person. Well, all that person needed was some coaching. They were very coachable. And sure. in the space of one, by the end of that year, that person was the top fundraiser out of all the, the uh, junior entry-level fundraisers. And they proceeded to go from there to where today they're a senior director at a different organization and they've done really, really well. And so I look back, by the way, the person who will tell me to do that, they are no longer in our profession. They haven't been in many years now. And so I look at that and say, well, so here you have somebody that was not willing to invest in uh, helping somebody realize that potential. I did. And guess what? That person had the it and now they're doing extremely well. And I say that to sort of support the point that, you know, you got to find people that are coachable and you got to coach them and allow them space to breathe and grow and get the job done. And I think if you are an organization that has that environment that is very people-centric, people-focused, that you are going to have the normal attrition that happens, but the numbers are going to be very low. You're going to have people that are going to stay. And I think at times uh, we may use this uh, great reassessment uh, to say, you know, to, as an excuse uh, to not deal with some of the challenges that we have that we refuse to deal with. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it could be that, hey, maybe your culture is not conducive to people's growth. Maybe people don't see an opportunity to, uh, to, to uh, sort of uh, fulfill their mission and they'll stay with it for a while. But now they say, you know what? I'm reassessing this situation and I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to be calm. You know, that's right. And, 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 and so uh, I, I see some of that out there and I say, you know, I don't want to open that can of worms. But hey, the reality is don't just use the excuse of the great resignation or the great realization or as you as you actually called it, the great reassessment to point a finger and say, you know what? That's that's just it. People are just simply reassessing their priorities. I challenge folks to think about, hey. What is it that I'm doing? Have those exit interviews or have the, you know, the annual conversations so that nothing is surprising. And yes, you're not going to be able to do everything. Not everybody is going to, is going to get a massive pay raise. Not everybody's going to get the title they want, the office they want. That's not reality. But at least if you're putting the best foot forward and if you can't, uh, you know, meet what somebody is looking for, you're helping them go to the next, you're paying it forward, then we're going to have a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. At least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so as, we, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, two, two key takeaways from our conversation that you'd like to share with our audience as they try to process this that we're going through that we're gonna keep going through and sort of think about the future and how to sort of not create a fail-proof situation, but to create a reality that's better than what exists right now. I think as you continue to hear things about the great resignation or uh, quiet quitting or any of the buzzwords that people are trying to use to describe today's right. workforce and, and market. Um, just don't, don't panic, a adjust in smart ways, listen to your employees. They will tell you what's going to go well in your organization, what's going to work for, for your, your people, but also pay attention to, to data too, when it comes to reacting to things, meaning, you know, it may be, you may start to feel uh, that, oh gosh, we have a turnover problem and dear Lord, everybody's quitting, but, but look at the actual data. Cause it's very easy to get swept up in the emotion of this topic. So just be, yes. just be careful. I'm not trying to certainly downplay the reality of this this time, it is a difficult time, but just really make sure you understand how your organization has truly been impacted by looking looking at the numbers and not let some of the hysteria drive, you know, yeah. action. And the other thing would be, um, I think we talked a lot about investing in people, uh, investing in careers for people. And assessing career paths and growth opportunities with two-way dialogue, constant conversations with your people on how it's how it's going, what they're enjoying, what is motivating them, what's their ideal day look like, what what do they dread when they drive into work, if anything, like know how they're feeling and um, 
you know, I, I think just, I know this is really kind of a specific thing, but, but particularly right now, just keep an eye on those uh, behind the scenes operations folks, the, the business ops folks who support the fundraising functions. Uh, those are just as important as taking care of your fundraisers. Uh, so just keep it, keep an eye on that and take care of those folks now and you'll be able to maintain hopefully some good momentum that that we have here in 22. Absolutely. You know, your last point reminded me of uh you remember that film uh Any Given Sunday with uh Jamie Foxx sure. as uh we were demon and uh Al Pacino and yeah. uh there's that scene where Jamie Foxx shows up at the party I think it was uh Lawrence Taylor's house or whatever. And he drives a big escalates like, yeah, I'm, I'm Willie Beeman. I'm the quarterback, this and that, and completely disregards the uh, the other teammates. And then he walks out to the sound of a chainsaw and uh, Lawrence Taylor is chainsawing his car in half. And he says, offense, defense, all of, all, all, all of us matter. And so the point there was, Try That's driving great. your car in half and see if you're gonna get anywhere. You're not gonna get anywhere. And I, yeah. I and I use that analogy uh, in closing here to to talk about our advancement business operations, advancement services team members. Oftentimes, as we th- talk about the Great Resignation, we're talking about frontline and uh, you know the the folks that get the glory. But we're not talking about that person who processed a thousand gifts yesterday to enable you to uh, to steward your donor. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the event staff that work countless hours to make every one of us look good. We're not talking about our accountants, right? Uh, I could go on and on. The finance people, the fiduciary people, the folks that manage our our endowment, the the, the folks that that, that, that handle, uh, you know, just controls within our organization to ensure that, you know, we function well. All those I challenge folks as they think about addressing the great resignation, take a holistic view of the entire organization. Those folks matter just as much. If you're thinking about uh, pay raises, you know, creating career ladders, think about career ladders as they apply to the entire organization. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be paid the same, but there's got to be a difference between, uh, you know, I, I mean, there can't be a big as big of a difference. I mean, you can't have United States and my home country, Tanzania, on the same scale. Mm-hmm. Let's try to be a little bit more equitable in ensuring that folks come to work and they know that, hey, I matter, just as Kim over there, who's uh, raising a million dollars, because if it wasn't my work, for my work, Kim would not do what he's doing. And so I challenge us to do that. And uh, with that, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Me too. I think our our listeners are going to have a blast of it. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, well, there you have it. I'm Kim Nayoni, and thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. We'll see you soon.